Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Episode of Purple Insider, Matthew Collar here, and along with me, Andrew Kramer of the Star Tribune. Andrew, I thought if I create a quiz for people to do to figure out if the Vikings are for real, who would be the last person that would want to do it? I thought, <laughs> Andrew, so I didn't tell you that that's what we're doing, but now you know. Hi. Hey, That yes, yeah, you, God, you were right. You're one for one on this quiz already. <laughs> Right, because it's it, it really isn't it really isn't your thing to like really plant your flag, right? Like, I'm not a big opinionator, yeah, hot taker. Yeah. You are you are a reporter, mm. so you're giving people the facts and the information and then all the possibilities. So once upon a time, I said on a radio interview with you, Hey Andrew, you think they'll trade Stefan Diggs? And you were like, Yeah, maybe to Buffalo. <laughs> you nailed it. Yeah, maybe though. I don't know. So you said maybe though. Like and and you know, Minnesotan, you're not really willing to go all in. I think sometimes people who are new to the show don't realize that I didn't I grew up in the East, mm. which means we're a little more like uh, hardcore on the on the takes. But anyway, uh yeah, I created this quiz to figure it out. So I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you decide where you can plant your flag with this five question quiz. Okay. So we'll start it out this way and please play along at home. All the questions except for one are on a one to five scale, and then I'll give you what it means. So it's like a magazine quiz, okay. what it means, where you score. Wow. Okay? okay. Wow. Oh, yeah. This is intricate. <laughs> this is involved. I spent all night on this. <laughs> so you better play along. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. Okay, Andrew. Here is the first question. <clears throat> How much do you believe that close games in the National Football League are random and luck-based if you believe that they are entirely luck-based that is a one. If it is not luck at all, it is a five. So if if it's entirely skill, it's a five. If you think that this whole spinning rock in the sky is just a bunch of random events, then it is a one. And of course, anywhere in between on that spectrum, one to five, how do you feel? Yeah, one really plays into my nihilist kind of tendencies and viewpoints just on the world in general. But I would say, I think it's a two. I think it's more luck than it is skill. I do believe in the situational masters, as they call it, this ability to uh, study really intently all the different scenarios and try to be prepared for everything that you can possibly be prepared for. But sometimes you're not going to be your best self on a given Sunday when you wake up at the Hotel Marriott or the JW in downtown Detroit or wherever you're going to be. You're not going to always bring your best self and you're not going to always perform uh, be at your best uh, when your best is required, as they say, in TCO Performance Center. So I think right now they have been, and they it's shown, but you're not always going to get a fumble recovery at the one-inch yard line in Buffalo. You're not always going to get a muffed punt uh, three out of four games in a row in this, in this uh, win streak that they're on. Um, I keep saying their luck is going to run out, and I'm waiting for it. 
and everyone is waiting for it, obviously. And, and people who think it's not luck will say, well, gosh, look at you. Aren't you stupid with egg on your face? But at the same time, th- these win streaks run out. We just saw Philly lose to Washington. Uh, the Vikings easily could have lost to Washington. They could have lost to Buffalo, uh, but they're not. And so enjoy it. But at the same time, don't get mad then when the ball randomly bounces away from Eric Hendricks as opposed to toward him. Yeah, I don't think any fans would ever be vindictive like that. I mean, just, <laughs> everyone is handling this totally fine. Uh, so you went with a two, so you're leaning closer to luck. Yep. Uh, I will tell you that I went with a three because I agree with almost everything you said there or everything you said that uh, like, look, I mean, last year, some of the ways they lost were just absurd. I mean, a missed field goal from 37 yards and hey, look, Devin Singletary's fumble. We're not really sure if that's a primetime game. We've got enough cameras to figure it out. Delvin Cook went through the same thing in week one against Cincinnati last year, that there were a lot of random events that went against them that this year are going for them. But sometimes you do make your own luck. I mean, the clutch players that they have, I mean, this is greatness in what it is like making that catch that Justin Jefferson made is pretty improbable. But if you told me Justin Jefferson made the most improbable catch or that Patrick Peterson read a quarterback and a receiver in the exact right way at the exact right moment, I'd say, I believe you. And I looked up Tom Brady and how he's done in seven point games for his career. And you're not going to be surprised by this, but he wins like six or seven out of 10. And so if the greatest player can swing the pendulum toward like winning more of those close games than losing them, then it, and he's played obviously seven zillion football games, then I think that great players can push it in that direction. Sure, they're out. There are outliers. Uh, I think Tom Brady swings it much more than Justin Jefferson. I think if you look at Justin Jefferson's record of one score games, it's a lot different than <laughs> you Tom know, Brady's. That's very true. That's so, very true. So I, I get what you're saying. Tom, Tom Brady's the outlier. Like Kirk Cousins is not Tom Brady, nor is. Uh, Davis Mills or or 90% of the quarterbacks, 99% of them who start. Um, So I just think that in general, it's probably going to be over time more luck. But this Vikings team is certainly showing us that some of these things that we think are not repeatable can be repeatable for at least a little while. I mean, the, the number of stars that are like that. I mean, third and one, Sedarius Smith comes up with yeah. a big sack. He's been mm-hmm. there for the big moments in every game. Uh, you know, Christian Derrissaw has been a guy that you know he got injured in this game and, and Blake Brandle came in. But if you think Kirk Cousins needs a clean pocket to come up with a big play, which he often does, mm-hmm. well, you need the blocking. And yeah. uh, that's where the top edge rushers come from. Right. So the construction of the team is sort of built to win in these moments. And it's also enough flawed where it ends up in these moments. Uh, but do I think that they're going to win every single close game the rest of the season? Of course not. So if you're going five, that means you think that this is team of destiny and they'll just win every close game. And like you said, no football will trickle away from Eric Hendricks because even if that bounced off his knuckle and rolled out of bounds, yep. the Bills still very likely win that football game. There's not much time left. They'd be kicking off. Um, so there's a lot of those that you can go through if this, then that. Um, yeah, Josh Allen would have been better just hucking that ball that he fumbled yes. into the back toward the, the field goal post. Like he would have been so much better off just throwing that thing backward and, and taking the consequences as opposed to what happened. Yeah, I mean, because I, I said to uh, our friend Chris Thomason right before the play, mm. I was like, they could get a safety here. And we were kind of going through it. Like how much time would Kirk need to get 
Greg Joseph into field goal position, plus Greg Joseph from 50-plus this year hasn't been reliable. And, well, the Bills took care of all of that conversation when they fumbled it for a Viking touchdown. Uh, All right, next question on our quiz. How much do you think that a team bonding matters to their success? If it is one, that means you don't really think that it matters at all. And if it's five, then you think that it's everything, that a team's bonding is able to drive them all the way to glory. This is tough. I would I would lean more toward four on this one. I think it matters a lot in football. I don't think it matters as much in sports like basketball uh, or team sports with just fewer people on the field. Um, I think it matters a lot like defensively too because when they were struggling, the Vikings, earlier with Ed Donatel's system, one of the things that stood out to me that Eric Kendricks said was, we don't know each other. Like we are just learning each other. And I mean that in terms of like, I'm just learning now what Shannon Sullivan is good and bad at on the field what he prefers in this coverage, uh, what route beats him in this other coverage and how I can be there to help in some of those moments. And those are the things we're spending time together. I'm not saying that playing top golf or whatever is going to help you necessarily know a coverage better, but if it's going to help to get to know them better and then access that information more freely, um, or uh, have that communication be more free th- flowing between an offensive lineman or between a corner and a linebacker. I mean, one of the Vikings' worst days under Mike Zimmer was in that Rams game in 2018. And Anthony Barr's talking about a reason why they get beat is because Holton Hill just doesn't understand a check that we're trying to get to because we haven't played together long enough. Um, so to me, team bonding is more about the cohesion on field as opposed to the stuff they do off the field. But clearly coaches think that the stuff they do off the field contributes to that on the field, which means it all matters. I think it's a chicken and an egg thing when it comes to this team specifically. And then the, you know, philosophy wise, if you win games, then everybody bonds together and everybody wants the best for the team. And they're all celebrating on the plane, going home and everything else. And then you become closer as you win more because you're spending more time talking to each other, being happy with each other, as opposed to being annoyed that this person or that person didn't do their job. There isn't finger pointing, which we've seen this in the past, just a few times, I think here, (laughs) where when you have two people or two groups, offense, defense, that are pointing the finger at each other, that's not going to make things very comfortable in the locker room. But that doesn't happen when you win. (laughs) When you win, everybody believes in each other more. And I think that it can build on itself. And that's what we may be seeing right now is they got the wins early. If they had gone, like think about 2019 where they went two and two to start the season and that Stefan Diggs skip in practice, that Chicago loss, it lingered the whole rest of the year. And when they had big moments, they let everyone down in multiple occasions in 2019 because there was always just this idea that the star receiver does not believe in the offense, doesn't believe in potentially the quarterback because Diggs was not saying a whole lot about what was going on. And so it just sort of sat there and rested over the team like a black cloud. They don't have this. They came out, they lost one bad game in Philly, but then they bounced back and won and won. And it's been O'Connell's sort of MO from day one to push these players to, to come together like this. But I can guarantee you if they were a 500 team, if the breaks we talked about in the first question had gone half the other way, I think we'd be looking around going, you know, hey, they were down 27 to 10 because of some confusing interceptions, right? You just totally forget about the things that go wrong when you win, which is a lot easier to bond with each other. So I think that it does help and it does matter, 
but it only happens if you've already won first. Now, I, so that's why I gave it a three. I, I, it's like I gave a cynical view on it, but still said that it does matter. Mm. But think about the last team that we covered that really bonded with each other. 2017. Have you covered a team that wasn't all that good that you were like, but they really like each other? Yeah, um, that, that's true. That's true. I, I have covered... There, I mean, I can think of some teams that were not that good that really liked each other. Locker rooms that did. I can. I can also think of teams that weren't that close and were good. Yes. Um, yep. I can certainly think of the opposite. So it's not like it has to be one way or the other. But that's a good point about how winning winning certainly builds that culture so much quicker. Uh, and I think it allows, the, for instance, like the Packers to go on a five-game losing streak and then still beat the Cowboys because – in four years under LaFleur, all they've done is win uh, until the NFC Championship game. But. Yeah, and <laughs> I, th- I also think that no quarterback needed this more than Kirk Cousins. Sure. Needed his teammates to rally around him and needed a coach to give his teammates permission to rally around him more or less, yeah. right? Like I, I think he needed that, and I, I, think, I think that you do see him playing different late in games and if you tie those two things together, I'm not going to say you're wrong. Like, I'm not 100% convinced that those things are tied together, but I also can't prove that they're not. Yeah, I, I think he's been playing good late in games actually the past few years because he's had moments, right? Like, he shakes Mike Zimmer on the sideline. It's because he, you know, led a game winning drive. And there are moments where he led game winning drives that should have been game winning drives under Mike Zimmer, but weren't because his defense blew it at the very, very end. Um, I'm thinking of. Uh, well, the Carolina game was one. He had to come back and win in overtime when after the, the defense blew it right at the end. So he's had these moments where he's underrated, been decent at the end of games, and his team hasn't put it together for him. Or he'll make a bad mistake in a key moment on a Monday night game, and everyone sees it, and he goes 2-10 and 10 on Monday night. Um, but I think overall you're right, and I also think that relationship with O'Connell helps. He's willing to stand in the pocket now and rip it to Justin Jefferson in a way that he seems scared to make that mistake before, uh, more scared to make the mistake. I think Kirk already played conservative and hesitant in general, but I think Mike Zimmer's coaching and the way that they, he wanted offense run, they really leaned into that conservative nature. Uh, and now O'Connell's trying to like kind of pull him back the other way and be like, no, let's be more aggressive. We have the talent. And you're seeing Kirk um, embrace that more. Noticeable difference after the bye week of them pushing the ball down the field more yeah. often. The yep. average depth of target has increased significantly. Uh, all right, on to our next quiz question. How much in control of turnover ratio do you believe a football team is? If they are not in control at all, uh, then it's one. And if they are in control of their turnover ratio, then it's five. I, I think it's four because I think – the you can 100% control it on offense theoretically like you just hold on to the football and don't you know sometimes things are going to get tipped so maybe it's more like you know 95% control it but you should be able to offensively we see the great offenses more often than not consistently keep those turnover numbers down good quarterbacks consistently keep them down um that you can control defensive stuff that is yeah that's more like a coin flip like you have no idea when a ball's put on the ground so i would say a 4 in that one there are examples of teams who, for long periods of time, dominated their uh, turnover ratios. 
And I've just been looking at this team as a very Kansas City Alex Smith team, which is not an insult if you go look at how much they won. And one of the reasons that they won, because Alex Smith never had huge numbers for quarterback rating. I think one year he had a great quarterback rating, but he never had huge numbers, but he never threw interceptions. I think that he had like one season past his second year or zero seasons with 10 interceptions. He just didn't turn the ball over. And that was really good for them. And then they had defensive players like Marcus Peters or Eric Berry or Tom Bahali. Like they had players who were kind of big time and would force turnovers pretty often. So I think that you can construct a team that can do this. I mean, they have guys like that. They have players. Patrick Peterson is a dude who you're never surprised he's got a bunch of picks. And Harrison Smith is a dude who you're never surprised has a bunch of picks. However, some of them have been thrown right to them <laughs> this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Peterson made an amazing play at the end, but the earlier interception was just Josh Allen not seeing him and throwing the ball right to him when he should have thrown it out of the back of the end zone and kicked a field goal. There has been some of that Taylor Heineke just airmailing right to you. That was catching a punt. Uh, not to take away. You still have to be in position. You still have to catch the football. But that ref had nice coverage, though, on the other. (laughs) He did. Uh, But, you know, I mean, that's the randomness of turnovers. And if the other team protects the ball because we're saying, hey, you can do it on offense. Well, if the other team also does it on offense, then you're not going to get those takeaways the same way. So I lean toward Jameis Winston throws 30 interceptions for a reason. If he's your quarterback, you're turning it over a ton. And if you have no playmakers and no ballers on defense, you're probably not stealing the ball from the other team. So you can control it, but you also need a lot of help from the other team if you're going to dominate the turnover ratio. So you're a more of a four or five? Oh, or? I'm sorry. I'm a three. Oh, I'm a three. A, I'm a oh. three. Yeah. Oh, you seem more gung-ho on like it, it is controllable. Well, think about Philly the other night. Yeah. I mean, Philly yeah. was annihilating the turnover ratio hmm. to get to where they were as an undefeated record. And then Quez Watkins, stay down, Quez. He uh, catches the ball, goes to the ground, and then just pops up and loses it. Like, that's random. Um, Dallas Goddard gets face masked. The referees don't call it. Like, that's random. So I think that there is control, and you can push the meter that way, but only so much. Like, you could push the meter to 60%, but you can't push it to 100. We get all the turnovers all the time. Yeah. Okay. Next question. And uh, let's see. Hopefully you're playing along at home, keeping track of what your score is, because I'm going to tell you what it means shortly. Okay. Uh, How many current playoff teams would you qualify as very winnable matchups for the Minnesota Vikings in the NFC? Just use the number of teams. Number of teams that are very winnable matchups. I have established already, and we haven't talked about it, but that the Dallas Cowboys are a very winnable matchup. For the Minnesota Vikings, I think obviously uh, the Giants are, so that's two. Um, The winner of the NFC South is, so that's three. I don't care who it is. Um, And is it Seattle still leading? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's four. Yeah, the honestly, the one I don't, if I'm the Vikings, the one I don't want to see is San Francisco. Totally agree. Uh, they know this coaching staff. They know this offense. They have dominated Kirk before. They know Kirk. They know this offensive line. They've already beaten him in the playoffs. Um, that's the one, like, if I see that and I'm a Vikings fan, I'm like, cool, our, our good luck ran out. Um, <laughs> but if they catch an NFC East team, like, I don't even, I, I think Philly's a bad matchup for anybody, obviously, but... 
I, I wouldn't call it winnable either, but I, I, I don't fear Philly as much and maybe as I should. Yeah, I'm going it, it, very winnable. I would probably go five. And the two that you named are the two I would agree with, which is Philly, if you have yeah. to go there, because the thing is you have a, the same record, but your tiebreaker, you lost. Mm-hmm. So if you end with the same record, you still have to go to Philly eventually if you match up with them. Uh, that one's going to be really tough. And you already lost that matchup 24 to seven. So it's hard to say, oh, you're better than them or it's very winnable. Uh, San Francisco, they add Christian McCaffrey, which we made fun of for how much they paid for him. But that doesn't mean he's not great. And he is a great fit. And uh, they're a really good team uh, that and the way they've beaten the Vikings the last couple of times that they've played them. That's another one. It's a hard argument to make. I just can't believe in Dallas. I think there's a lot of reasons to believe in Dallas. I just can't believe in Dallas. No, I don't either. I, I think their defense is fraudulent. I think they make a lot of plays on the ball. They're almost Arizona-like in their aggressive, downhill, blitz-happy way that they like to pressure quarterbacks into making stupid decisions and then taking advantage of those. But you look at all the numbers, Trevon Diggs can't really cover that well. Uh, his past deflection numbers cover up for the fact that he's beat a lot. Um, they just lost their top slot corner in Jordan Lewis to a Liz Frank injury. Their backup's a fifth-round rookie. Uh, J. Ron Curse is starting for them, but he's very much just a box safety because they play so much single high. So I, I like the matchup. I think Jefferson's going to get command of that safety over the top, and that's going to free stuff up for Hawkinson all day, Dalvin all day underneath. I, I really like the matchup. Biggest thing for me is that Dallas can't stop the run, and when the Vikings play a team that can't stop the run, I, I, that's just a bad matchup for the other team. Uh, I, so I'll go with five are very winnable. Is that how many you're going with? I think five Five are very winnable. All right. Last question. Do sports curses exist? Oh, uh, and, uh, this would be a one if they do and a five, if they do not. Oh, it, it's a five. I mean, they do. Come on. They do. They do. And I'm not superstitious at all. Like in my everyday life, I mean, me and my wife have this discussion all the time about ghosts, but the, the sports curses thing, it's hard not to look at, you know, like the Vikings, the Vikings have one of the top win percentages of any franchise over the last however many years and have not even made it to a Super Bowl in since 1976. It's incredible. It's almost 50 years um they're approaching and they hope to end it obviously under o'connell but i think they exist and look at the bills you know the number of things that have gone wrong for this franchise (laughs) considering the number of great players is so improbable and the fact that uh, this was almost like a free space. <laughs> this is like, it's like you start with five, yep. because, you know, so uh, I, yeah, I have to go with five here until proven otherwise yeah. yep. um, uh, until the, the ghouls go away. Yeah. You're, you're, you got a five from this franchise. I even did yeah. a full podcast with someone who studies conspiracy theories, not invents <laughs> them, but studies them. And uh, they determined that yes, the Vikings are cursed. Yeah. Uh, an official, wh- what's that person called? Like what's their title? I don't know, uh, okay. but 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 uh, Zach, uh, conspiracy analyst, there I guess. Okay. Uh, but uh, but Zach Johnson does a great job with his crackpot podcast. So okay. anyway, all right, let's let's add these up. Uh, so you went two plus four plus four. That is ten, fifteen, and twenty. So that's where you were at twenty. So here's how the scaling works: uh, between five and ten. You do not believe in the Vikings at all, okay? Between 11 and 16 is you kind of believe in them, but you are very wary. 
17 to 23 is you're really feeling them and you think that they're real good. <laughs> and 24 to 26, I just wrote Super Bowl Z-O-M-G <laughs> is what I wrote. Uh, so you landed at a 20. I mean, okay, you pretty are, high. Where are yeah, you at? You are definitely on the side of you're feeling them. I'm feeling you're them. You're feeling drinking the Kool-Aid. All right. So I had five for the curses and I'll run through this uh, real quick again for everybody so they can play along at home. I had five teams that they could beat in the playoffs, three as far as turnover ratio, so that's 13, five, uh, let's see, I had uh, three, 16, and 19. So we came okay. we came very close. Yeah, yeah, I think we're both in the same realm that feel in the team big time. So that was, again, if it's five to 10 that you scored, you don't believe in them. 11 to 16, you kind of believe in them. And then 17 to 23 is your feeling them. Hat, 24 to 26 is Super Bowl. Literally half of our belief in them, though, is that the NFC around them is not very good and that sports curses are real. Yeah. We each got five. <laughs> that's, that's 10 of our 20 points for each one. Uh, you know, because Actually, but, you know what? You know what? I think what? I may. Oh, no, I scored this wrong. Oh, Shoot. Rot -row. I scored it wrong. It was actually one. That it was supposed to be sports curses because I was way like wait sports curse oh, takes away yeah, from yeah. you feeling the team yeah so sorry right. you have to subtract our scores by four so you got a sixteen and I, I got a fifteen math. okay which means that we just are on the edge between wary and feeling this team okay so you got a sixteen <laughs> which is right on the edge and I got a fifteen right next to you so you are oddly right in the middle which is kind of what you talked about at the beginning that of your seems more takes. right yeah. yeah that seems more right i i think this team can sure why not them but i don't think i don't think anybody should think that there's some powerhouse that's going to roll over the rest of the nfc okay sorry about that that was a miscue on my part <laughs> i i put down five points for each of us to say we don't believe in curses but we have to we have to we really really have, we to. have to all right andrew this was very fun did you uh did you have a good time i did i did thank you, you feel i feel like I your opinions are stronger now i do yes it's like a little boot camp for the hot takes i like it was it the takes we had along the way it is you know fun? we laughed we cried just keep working on those articles yeah <laughs> just want to soda keep uh <laughs> keep writing those opinions all right <laughs> okay we'll do some fans only questions next <laughs> bye andrew thanks for your time <laughs> bye Folks, have you noticed that I'm always talking about liquid death here on the show? Well, you've probably also noticed by now that it's in the grocery aisle with the water. Yes, that's the water that looks like a tall boy beer. And hey, there's a good reason for that. Liquid death is not only delicious mountain water and sparkling water, but it's also saving the environment as well. Liquid death tall boy style cans are much easier to recycle than those plastic bottles. So they're trying to kill plastic by using aluminum and by donating 10% of profits to put an end to plastic use. I've enjoyed taking a break from soda and trying liquid death and some of you kind folks have tweeted me and said that you've done the same with great results. Even if your family thinks that you are downing beer after beer. Find liquid death at high V 7-Eleven Target or check out liquiddeath.com slash insider. That's liquiddeath.com slash insider. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. 
Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, let's get into some of these fans-only questions. We will start off with D. Shepik on Twitter. We've seen an unreasonable amount of scrutiny on Kirk despite the record in game-winning throws. What makes him so polarizing in your opinion? Why is it that people will never change their mind about him once they've decided? Um, I guess I wonder where you're seeing the unreasonable amount of scrutiny on Kirk Cousins this year because I turned on my TV two weeks ago and I saw him on the Manning cast and I saw him on Pat McAfee's show I feel like this year that people have gone along with the record much more on the national stage than they have looked deep into his stats. I was doing a, a appearance on something called Sports Grid, which is a gambling show. And the way that the lead into the question was kind of how is Kirk different? What's different with Kirk this year? And I just wrote about this, about how he isn't really different at all. Uh, if anything, the slow start, the game in Philadelphia brought down his numbers a little bit and he hasn't had some of those huge numbers. And if you say that it's because he's not playing from behind as much, that's not actually true. Uh, his percentage of attempts is exactly the same, 44% um, when playing from behind, when trailing as it was last year. Uh, so he's been essentially the same quarterback and on paper, whether it's PFF grade, ESPN, QB, are uh, has not been the absolute best version of himself so far but I don't see any outside criticism I mean maybe somebody that you listen to or maybe fans that you follow are not buying yet a team that's led by Kirk Cousins and I think that when you look at his entire history there's reason to be skeptical all the time of somebody who came into this season with a 59 59 and two record I think and has been at the helm for teams that have underperformed their expectations on a, on a regular basis I mean he's been here now for five years this is going to be the first division that they've been able to win um, and there's been a lot of times where people got excited about Kirk Cousins because he was playing really well and then they saw him fall off the edge of a cliff and let them down. I mean, the last two years, they've had chances to make the playoffs and it didn't happen. Like, we can't rewrite history. There's a lot of scar tissue that's been built up for a lot of people. If you're talking about fans who are criticizing Cousins, um, there's a lot of scar tissue that's been built up. So even when you have a run like this, you're maybe not necessarily going to buy fully in to the idea that they could go deep in the playoffs with this person at quarterback. Uh, and and that's, that's just history and frustration for four years of fans watching this happen. 2019, of course, they do get a playoff win. But throughout that entire year, there were a lot of questions about how good the team really was, how good the offense really was. And then ultimately, they get to San Francisco and throw for 160 yards on 40 passes or something and just go home with a whimper. And I think that's what people 
are concerned about what a lot of Vikings fans would be concerned about is you just have that disappearing act type of game that you just can't really explain and has been definitive of his career. It's one of the reasons Washington moved along. Uh, I talked with a, a person who had previously ranked high in an NFL front office. That's the way I'm going to put it who said that his team did not go after Kirk Cousins because they watched some of the biggest games that Washington had, and they thought, uh, we don't know if he can overcome things or beat these good teams and so forth. And Buffalo is a definitive win for him, uh, for sure, and played great in the second half of that game. You couldn't have asked for more of a clutch performance down the stretch from him, uh, but you know, I mean, that's a rarity from him as a Minnesota Viking quarterback. So if there are those out there that are saying, hey, we're not really sure if this is for real or not, or if this season is going to still live up to expectations, or if there's a downturn in the Kirk Coaster, I, I think that there's evidence in the past for you to have that opinion. But I also think that when you look at how the outside world has always approached Kirk Cousins, not necessarily locally or within the fan base that has been split, uh, but it's really been when the Vikings do anything, the NFL networks, the ESPNs, I mean, they are just ready to pounce all over, you know, Kirko chains and all that stuff and share the Instagram thing and get him on their shows and talk about how good they've been. Uh, I think that when you win, you get praised. And when you lose, you don't, or when you're mediocre, you don't. And they've mostly been mediocre for the time that he's been here. And now that they're good, they're getting a ton of positive attention around cousins uh, there might be somebody in your friend group who still says i'm not buying it um, or there might be one podcast you listen to or something that says i'm not buying it but aside from that i think most people are giving him his due for the way that he's played and as far as being polarizing i mean this just goes for all quarterbacks who are not Aaron Rodgers or pat mahomes or legendary quarterbacks i mean matthew stafford has been this way through his whole career that the people in Detroit, a lot of them said, Matthew Stafford is great. It's just been a supporting cast. You guys don't know what you're talking about. And they get to hang that banner with him going to Los Angeles and winning a Super Bowl. But also, I mean, you can reasonably analyze a lot of the teams that they had through the years and go Stafford let them down in certain seasons where they had chances, uh, where they had great starts to the year. And then he had a downturn. Any quarterback who is kind of a roller coaster and lands around 500 a lot of the time is going to have this exact effect where some people want to buy fully into the highs and other people are terrified of the lows. And that is what Kirk Cousins has been really for his entire career. Um, but, you know, every team that I've covered in my career, the fan base always thinks that they're being disrespected by the outside world. I mean, I follow some Packers people. And on Twitter, and I will see them talk about how the Packers are disrespected. I mean, is there any team that everybody seems to love more than the Packers because of their great quarterback play forever? And yet their fans still think, oh, the world's out to get us and, and so forth. So I think that there's there's just um, there's maybe a bit of a complex there with sports fans and their teams that they think that they're not getting the appreciation. Uh, there's reason to look at what Cousins has done and say he could be even better and if he is this team can be very special as they go down the stretch but if he plays the same level of football that he's played this year for the rest of the season 
uh, you're probably going to come up short in some games. And is it going to work in the playoffs to get down by 17 points because you throw an interception or whatever? I like, I don't, I don't know. So anybody who's been through it with this team many times, and some, for some of you, it's many, 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 many times, uh, you're going to have your guard up a little bit. I think when something happens that is unusual and outside the norm that goes your way for the Vikings, you know that so many people are always bracing for the uh, the downturn there. So great, great question. Uh, I just think that you know that that there's probably not a lot of people who are actually criticizing your quarterback at this point when you're eight and one. Uh, all right, this comes from Matt via email. Says, I was wondering why we haven't seen the Vikings use tempo that much to help the offense get back in rhythm at times when it stalls in the second and third quarters. They used it in some of the first game against the Packers, then we haven't really seen it since. Any idea why this might be? No, I, I don't actually have an idea of why that might be. It's a good question. You see them doing it early in games. But I think that's by design. That's planned. It's part of the opening script of 15 or 20 plays or how many ever they're able to prepare on a given week. And they will have it like in the game plan right away off the bat. Okay, we're going to run play number one and then jump right up to the line of scrimmage, run it again, like get the other team on their heels. That probably becomes harder to do as you go along in a game when it isn't so much scripted. You'd prefer to huddle up, to have a second to call the play, and then get everybody set. Um, But I do think it's something that makes it life very hard for defenses. And where you can really see it is like look toward kind of the sideline of the other team. And there's just scrambling. There's people running off the field. There's people running onto the field. There's there's players looking around at each other. Where do I line up? What am I supposed to do? And I mean, even going back to the days of Cincinnati and Sam Weish doing this uh, for old school football fans or Jim Kelly and the Buffalo Bills who ran the no huddle offense. Peyton Manning was doing it in Indianapolis. It is an advantage. And there's just no quarterbacks in the NFL now who could call their own plays at the line of scrimmage and and do what Peyton Manning did in Indianapolis and just run up to the line of scrimmage and direct everyone. That's very, very hard to do. Uh, I, I don't I honestly don't know if there's a single quarterback that's like Jim Kelly or Peyton Manning these days. And maybe it's become harder to do that with the things that defenses are capable of adjusting to. But I agree with your point that in the middle of the game, that there should be kind of a button to push to go up tempo because it really has for them kind of been this slog as they get going in the game. It's like they come out and score every single time. They're just up seven, nothing. And then it's like, Oh, here comes the three and out. Here comes the three and out. Here comes the frustrating drive, you know, and, and uh, you know, kind of the, looking like they're stuck in the mud a little bit. And yeah, I I think it's a good idea. I I think it's a good idea for them to try. I don't know that they will unless they're listening um, because it's probably easier said than done. But maybe, you know, one thing that can help them when it comes to this is home field advantage over the next six weeks. I think it's what five of the six games are at home. That could make a difference. Maybe you'll see it a little bit more because it's probably very hard to do when you're on the road to do the up-tempo and call everything at the line of scrimmage when the other team's fans are super loud. Uh, This question comes from at Tom Spicer. Tom, I'm sorry if I've I've never pronounced your name before. Um, Early week question for you. 
let's see, 20 seconds before Dalvin Cook's 81-yard touchdown run, I remarked that he doesn't seem as explosive compared to last year, even considering that clutch run. Am I correct in my assessment? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, that run was spectacular and he reached his high speed and was one of the fastest runners of the entire week in the NFL he was over 21 miles an hour so he was trucking but when you're on a track meet essentially you are going to be able to reach your peak speed so he was moving super fast on that play and it kind of did look like the Delvin of before but I don't think it's been quite the same and the the stat that I can cite is from NFL Next Gen that they have a stat rushing yards over expected. Now, this might have changed with an 81-yard touchdown run, uh, but earlier this year, he was in the middle of the pack with rushing yards over expected, and I think that in the past, he's been one of the best in the entire NFL in that category. Yeah, with that run, he did jump up a little bit, but his number is still, like on a per-carry basis, still lower than it's been in the past. And there is some tracking data that we don't have uh, publicly to show the, the quickness meter. But I know that um, Eric Eager from Sumer Sports, formerly of PFF, had tweeted out something about him from last year that the burst was not exactly the same, that initial speed. And the, the breaking of tackles has not quite been the same. But, I mean, when you look at his overall statistics, this is the best possible outcome for Delvin Cook. I mean, it has really been a very good year for him. And I think that teams playing back because of Justin Jefferson has made a difference here for Delvin Cook. I mean, he's averaging five yards a carry. You really just couldn't have asked for anything really better than that. I mean, that's one of the best marks in the entire league. I'm trying to do the math here, but it's in the top 10, I think, for guys that have over 100 carries so far this year. And what you're seeing is a lot of success for running backs because so many defenses are going to those two high looks. So even if it's not quite, quite the same as it was before, I mean, five yards a carry is pretty tough to argue with. So I think that he's had just about the best, best case scenario when we went into the season and early in the year, he gets the shoulder injury right away. And you're saying like, oh no, this is the age 27 season for a running back where they hit the wall they get banged up and they're just not as good anymore and Delvin Cook overall by his numbers even if the burst is just a little bit off from what it used to be uh, still one of the best running backs in the league overall when you look at his stats I think he's just become more more of the famine famine feast than he was in the past where in the past it was maybe a little more consistent because he was breaking tackles because there was a little more quickness there and this year it's been more reliant on the run blocking which ranks second by pff i mean they've just been a terrific run blocking team so their running game is still one of the most effective in the nfl and has really picked up i i think uh maybe after a slow start to the season but it kind of picked up there and has become much better uh, as we've gone along all right, next question comes from Marcus on Twitter. Says this is a fans-only question. With Justin Jefferson playing the way he is and making catches like we saw against Buffalo, what stratosphere of contract do we have to expect from him asking for? We obviously have to add a big chunk of money just because his contract will be a few years removed from the last big extensions, but do we expect his contract to redefine the wide receiver market? Oh, yes. Uh, and Marcus says, love the show. You keep me informed on all of my Vikings. Vikings 
uh, needs across the pond in Germany. Well, I really appreciate that, Marcus. Thanks for listening over in Germany. I have been told that the NFL is absolutely huge in Germany, and I see that they're expanding to bring even more games there. So that's very cool, and I appreciate it. And uh, tell your German friends. But uh, yes, it's gonna re- it's gonna reset the market for sure. The highest paid receiver in NFL history, hands down, no question, lock it in. That's the offer. That's the only offer you can make to Justin Jefferson. If Quasi Adafo Mensa went to the table with anything less than the highest paid wide receiver in NFL history to Justin Jefferson, it would be a total disrespect and he would turn it down. I mean, we're talking about a generational player in Justin Jefferson. There have been very few receivers that elevate to this point where you're talking about them on any given year by their third season as the best receiver in the NFL. He has no weakness. He does everything well. Without him in this offense, how many wins do they have? Four, maybe? I mean, it's really been like that this season that we came in talking about, well, they've got all these weapons and everything else, but they had to go out and buy another weapon because Jefferson was the entire offense and they were still winning games with it. And that Bills game, that is a a definitive Justin Jefferson, why you have to pay him the most money in the entire NFL type of game. Does that make things harder for the Vikings down the road? It probably does. And where it's going to be interesting for them is, so let's say you win 13 games and Kirk Cousins' agent comes back and says, hey, remember that short-term extension from last year? How about we make that longer? And oh, by the way, the price of quarterbacks has gone up. So now you might be talking about a quarterback being paid $40 million and a receiver being paid $30 million a year. And how do you manage that? Or do you just ride it out with Cousins for another year and draft a quarterback because you literally can't pay a receiver quarterback money and a quarterback quarterback money? That There's some tricky things salary cap wise that are sort of good problems to have in the future where it's going to be Christian Derrissaw. I mean, already we're seeing that that man is going to be one of the best uh, in the NFL and one of the highest paid eventually in the NFL. Oh, Zadarius Smith, he leads the league in pressures and has a completely ludicrous cap hit of $3 million. Do you think he's coming back to play for them next year on a $3 million contract? Like Probably not. So they're going to have to manage this carefully because they've had guys uh, exceed expectations. Patrick Peterson isn't coming back next year for $3 million. He's probably going to want 10 to come back and or, or more uh, to play the way that he did. And, you know, that's again, like these are things that only happen if everyone plays really well. But uh, this season is more like 2017 than I initially thought, because when you look at their left tackle, wide receiver, edge rusher, and am I missing something? Maybe both both edge rushers, I guess. Uh, like the price. Oh, number one corner. The price of those guys should be if you were talking about the four kind of key positions top corner, edge rusher, tackle, and wide receiver. Those should be like $80 million on the cap, and they're under 10 for this year, which was kind of like when the Vikings had Kendricks, Stephon Diggs, uh, Daniil Hunter, and Trey Waynes all on their initial contracts. They were paying so little money for such great production from those players. That's what they're getting this year. That is going to change in the future, but all the money is worth it 
for Justin Jefferson. You're seeing Miami is a good example where Tyreek Hill just drives that offense and Stefan Diggs in Buffalo drives that offense. Well, that's what Justin Jefferson is for the Vikings. And if they do eventually change quarterbacks down the road, I mean, just based on Cousins age, eventually that's coming. Uh, the confidence you can have to bring in somebody else and hand them the world's best wide receiver is, I mean, that's a pretty good, pretty good feeling for the Vikings, but you have to pay for it. And uh, they certainly will. I, I don't see any scenario at this point, especially since they've won, that Justin Jefferson is not signing the market setting wide receiver contract next year. That 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 to me is one of those like lock of the century type things. Great question though, Marcus. Thanks for listening. Folks, if you're looking for a way to celebrate Minnesota's insane football season, go to SodaStick.com. See all the different designs from Kirko chains to the gritty to everything skull related. SodaStick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com and use the code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off your purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Got your happy price, Priceline. Um, this is uh, from Jackie via email. Uh, maybe you or Jeremiah Searles could answer this, but is there a difference between snapping the ball for an extra point and a field goal? I don't know that Jeremiah has ever snapped anything, so maybe we're both as qualified to answer this question. Uh, let's see. Uh, Greg Joseph has had a harder time in camp or had a harder time in camp with Ryan Wright holding the ball than he did for Jordan Berry. And I wondered if the way the ball is snapped is different since those two kicks are generally the ones that uh, get missed. Um, yeah, so I think that there might be something to it as far as the holder. Um, I, I don't know that um, there is a difference between an extra point and a field goal. I would say probably not. I, I think it's the same operation. Maybe it's a little different if you're kicking from 50 plus, but I think everything is exactly the same. I, I, I'm, it's always possible that back in the day, the short extra point was a little different, but I think everything, they try to streamline everything like there are some people in golf that would say, hey, you want to use the same swing. It's just how hard you bring the club back or how far, I'm sorry, how far you bring the club back. 
um, but you want to always use the same swing. I think it's this way where you always want to kick the ball exactly the same way, whether it's a 25 yard field goal or a 45 yard field goal. And I'm sure you have to lower the trajectory when you kick it from 57 or something like that. It has to come out a little bit lower uh, or it'll just lose momentum and end up short. But I don't think anything else is different. It might just be that either Greg Joseph was kind of not a great kicker, but maybe just an okay kicker to begin with. Or it could be that Ryan Wright and Greg Joseph don't have great chemistry as holder and kicker in the same way that Jordan Berry did. Now, Jordan Berry was much more experienced in the NFL. He had had a a lot of years with uh, Pittsburgh, so he had done this quite a bit. I don't know how experienced Ryan Wright was at the holding element, But Ryan Wright is also a way better punter, like at actually punting the ball and changing the game. So maybe there's a sacrifice that they decided, look, we'll just try to have them figure it out, uh, even though Jordan Berry is better at holding. But I, I don't think that the explanation is that extra points and field goals are different. I think it's probably more what you pointed to with Ryan Wright just not being as experienced or potentially even as good at holding as uh, Jordan Berry and the extra points. We see them more often. There are more extra points than field goals. So I guess it stands to reason that they'll stick out when somebody misses one, but um, there's also really no excuse for them missing the number of extra points that they've missed. I think they've missed the most extra points in the league over the last two years or something like that, or they're close. Uh, That's, that's not good. I mean, that is just screaming for a late game tying touchdown where he hits the post and you lose a game because of it. So whatever the issue is, uh, they really have to get that resolved. Uh, Next question comes from Paul by email on the Justin Jefferson fourth and 18 amazing catch. No one was talking about how bad the throw was on fourth and 18. You'd think the defenses would have locked JJ down, but incredibly he was wide open. Look at the camera angle from the Vikings end zone and you can see him come out of his break open. Kirk threw it late, high and behind him. You want your $30 million quarterback to throw a strike there given the situation. Fortunately, JJ made the catch of the century and kept the drive alive. Now, I'm sure there are people listening who are like, geez, Paul, but Kirk Cousins said the exact same thing. Yeah, he, he, he agrees with you. Kirk Cousins agrees with you. He went through this uh, at the podium the other day or whatever we're calling it. I guess he wasn't at the podium in the locker room the other day at his press conference where he talked about how he wanted to make a better throw there. And when it left his hand, he thought that he overthrew him. There's a few things about that play that I am just so confounded by. One of them is how Jefferson had a one-on-one matchup because Cousins said that if Jefferson hadn't been one-on-one, he wouldn't have thrown it, that he had other ideas in his head of where he could go with the football potentially if he was double-covered. And that made me think, like, Kirk, no, actually, you really need to throw it if he's double-covered. In that situation, just throw it if he's double-covered, man. Like, Don't worry about that. But the Bills not putting two dudes, that's a situation where you should just put two guys on the line of scrimmage with Justin Jefferson and make anyone else beat you anyhow. Uh, And the Bills didn't do that. The other thing is I saw the poor defensive back who he, I mean, you could say Moss, but it's like maybe as good of a catch or better than any that Moss ever made. And there were many, many spectacular ones. but the guy said if, if he had just knocked it down instead of trying to catch it, that was what blew me away in the moment where I was like, I can't believe 
because I didn't see it. I mean, of course, I'm in the press box, so I'm you know 150 yards away from it happening. But my initial thought was, I can't believe the guy didn't knock it down. Why did he try to catch it? Because you could see him reach out with both of his arms rather than just batting the ball down. But every spectacular play has some sort of what if or how it all had to come together. Uh, but I, I mean, I do agree with you because Kirk said he agrees with you about the accurate throw. It's just in that situation, though, there, all you can really do is just kind of throw it up. I mean, I think that Cousins has been fairly accurate this year, even in, compared to last years. And he made some very accurate throws in that game. I don't have a criticism about his accuracy overall. It's just I'm, I'm not going to get too nuts about saying, hey, you threw a fourth and 18 pass too high for Justin Jefferson um I I don't know if that speaks to a bigger statement about Kirk Cousins or is just hey man you just have to throw it up and and see what happens and if you're throwing it that far down the field pretty hard to be perfect on that kind of play especially since Vaughn Miller was rushing against Blake Brandle at that point and everybody had to know it so a little harsh a little harsh uh but I have nothing bad to say about one of the greatest plays that I have ever seen in person that uh, Justin Jefferson made there. All right, this comes from uh, Rich, says we've heard that Donatel's defense uses a too high look pre-snap and then shifts into what they're actually running. What kind of looks are they disguising? Because it seems to me that there are only so many zone looks you can run. Yeah, they run zone defenses as much by the numbers as any team in the entire NFL. And as far as the disguises, that's a that's a hard one because I watch the game back on film, but I don't know the players' assignments. So you'll see, I mean, guys running zones, and every once in a while you'll see that robber where you know they have two deep safeties but one of the safeties comes down to where the linebackers are to kind of cut off over the middle of the field but you don't see it that much it's not something they're doing all the time where it's a post snap switch to a single high Uh, it's mostly that they're playing kind of the same defense that I ran on Madden all the time where you just play the uh, two deep and you line up as the defensive end and try to sack the quarterback. I mean, that's really what they've been doing. And I think in in recent weeks, what's really helped is the four-man pressure. What it really comes down to is that, is are you able to get pressure from the offensive line? And I mean, for the most part, the answer has been, I'm sorry, from the defensive line. And for the most part, recently, the answer is yes. Earlier in the season, I wondered if they were going to be able to because Zadarius Smith got off to a decent start but not unbelievable, and he's worked his way into unbelievable. Same with Daniil Hunter, where the adjustment to the system took a little while, and now he's top 10 in pressures. And and those guys stepping up these last few weeks, it allows you to be able to do this, to be able to play everyone back, keep everything in front of you, and hope that the pass rush makes a play, or that the quarterback gets antsy and tries to push it into windows that aren't necessarily there, or go over the top when the shot isn't really there. But it's it would be hard for me to say by just watching on the all 22 oh this is the look that they're disguising because I don't know if that was the look that they were supposed to be giving or not right off the bat and then they change something right um it's it's hard I would say it's hard to say for sure but I think that they've done such a good job in recent weeks of pressuring quarterbacks that playing that way is is reasonable i think that there's still maybe more aggressive you know 
choices to be had there. Like they could go after quarterbacks a little more. They could still blitz a little more. They could mix in some man coverage from time to time. But this is kind of your for better or worse defense. It's still a flawed secondary. And uh, this goes particularly with these injuries that it's a flawed secondary and they're trying their best to make up for or cover up for some of those weaknesses in the secondary. And it just relies a lot on do you get to the quarterback or not? Uh, This comes from Peter. The token Brit is back with the fans only questions. Oh, this is kind of like fans only Euro version. Uh, What in God's name are we going to do about Ingram? It's easy to ask after winning, but the question uh, is even there had we lost. I get he's a rookie and he's having growing pains, but at some point he will cost us big time. So what is the best way to handle him without destroying his confidence, but ensuring the team does not suffer? It actually does make it quite hard when they win week after week to over scrutinize one player. But when we look at the accumulation of his numbers and I can actually pull it up right now to get the most recent statistics on the right guard position. I mean, you can really see now that you talk about watching on tape where you can really see is uh, that opposing teams are just going after him. Uh, He has dropped to tied for third for most pressures allowed with 19 this year and seven sacks allowed. That is wild. I mean, that's number one in the league. You almost never see that. I'm I'm sorry, 19 hurries. Oh, wow. I had this wrong. He is way ahead, way ahead leading in pressures. I had clicked hurries instead of pressures on PFF's website. He is eight pressures ahead of the next worst offensive lineman and has a 34 pass blocking grade, which I believe is right in the ballpark or still lower than what Dakota Dozier had in 2020. It, it, it's a not a good situation. Uh, and you saw Buffalo going after him. I think this is some of the reason that um, Garrett Bradbury's numbers are better because opposing teams are just attacking and attacking and attacking that right guard position. And when you're talking about giving up seven sacks from the guard spot, I mean, there are plenty of guards in the NFL who have given up zero. I can get you the exact number here. How many starting guards have given up zero sacks this year? It's a lot. It's it's 16. There are 16 guards who have given up zero sacks and Ed Ingram has given up seven. Yeah, I think that they probably would have to lose a couple games now in order to make that change because the run blocking as a unit is good and his run blocking grade is good. This is what we ran into. His run blocking grade is 14th. This is what we ran into with Dakota Dozier versus like Brett Jones was that, you know, everybody looked at, Dakota Dozier's pass blocking and was like, what are you doing? But then, you know, Brett Jones couldn't really run block and Ingram is adding to their run blocking quite a bit, even if he's giving up a lot of pressure. I think that they're just going to hope that he improves as the season goes along, which you could very well see Uh, at this moment. It's kind of catastrophic if it improves to getting closer to average as the year goes by, then They'll be a very, very good offensive line because right now they really only have that one massive weakness. Ezra Cleveland is a roller coaster. Garrett Bradbury has been much more solid, but that's the weakness that everyone is attacking. And if they find a way to even somewhat resolve that, even below average play, just not the worst in the entire NFL, but 
Now, I've said before, a loss or two can sort of jostle a team out of it and force them to make a change. And if they do have a couple of losses as they go down the stretch, and that's a major issue, then they will have to put some consideration into making a change. But at this moment, I don't see it. Let's get in one more question before we wrap up the show. This from at DMKane43 on Twitter. Are you excited about the Vikings being 8-1? and one? Sometimes it seems like you're looking for justification on how they're winning games and how it's sustainable. I do firmly believe it's the new culture that KOC has brought to the team, and I don't think if Mike Zimmer was here that we would have won half the games that we have won this year. Based off your comment on your podcast with Bob Sturm, he'd still be riding the 32nd ranked defense and running it on first and second down love your show listen every day on my way to work and really look forward to it thank you thank you very much i I really appreciate you taking the time to listen um yeah i think the question would be how do you want me to do the job um because i have always from day one of the show from day one when i started covering the vikings looked at the numbers very closely and combine that with being around the team to try to come up with the most accurate opinions and commentary that I possibly can, right? Like, that's my goal. My goal isn't about being excited. It's about being accurate because I want to bring you guys the most interesting angles, but also the most well-researched. And that means sometimes talking to Kevin O'Connell, or it sometimes means deep diving into the analytics or talking to analytics experts or talking to former players or whatever it might be. Like this is my entire goal is to bring you what I think is the right opinion about any subject with your team. So just I'll give you an example of this. I mean, right now, the Vikings, the 2022 Vikings, if you type into pro football reference, 2022 Vikings, and you look at their expected win loss. Now, all this is, is based on their uh, points for and points against. What would you expect the team's win loss to be? And the answer is 5.4 and 3.6. So a five and a half win team and they've won eight. I can't ignore that. I mean, now you can certainly get excited about eight and one. No one would ever tell you not to. And I've said from day one, there's no apologizing for winning close games or loving the team or loving what you're seeing or looking at this landscape of the NFC and going, oh my gosh, like it's all coming together. Here it is. But if I wasn't looking for whether it's sustainable, I would not be doing my job for you guys. Like that's that's how I view it is I have to look at all of the numbers. I have to look at everything that uh, the team has been saying. And, and really, they've been self-critical at times. And they've talked about the things that they need to change and need to improve on. Like I don't think that they look at themselves and say, this is absolutely perfect. I'm sure that they didn't trade for TJ Hawkinson for no reason. (laughs) They traded for him because they felt they weren't a perfect team, even though they were winning a lot of games. And, you know, you make the crack about Zimmer's defense. Well, this defense is 29th in yards allowed at the moment. Uh, So, and 21st in terms of scoring percentage. I mean, you know, look, they've relied a lot on turnovers, which is a hard thing to sustain week in and week out. They've relied a lot on winning close games, and you better believe that I looked it up. Mike Zimmer in close games over his time with Kirk Cousins, so I didn't even include 2017, just with Kirk Cousins, went, you'll never guess, 500. And so if you're going to say that you know Kevin O'Connell would win every close game that Mike Zimmer lost, 
well, then they would have been the greatest team of all time if they had only had Kevin O'Connell. Like, no one thinks that you can do that every single week and get away with it for, for a really long period of time. For a season, yes, you can ride that wave. And I totally agree and have been saying from day one about Kevin O'Connell how important it was to change the culture of this team, how important it was to have somebody that got behind Kirk Cousins. Lean into the Kirk. Was that not me? Like, did I not invent that? Like, that was my saying. Why are they not leaning into the Kirk? They've leaned into Kirk Cousins this year much more. They've believed in him much more. Uh, But at the same time, I think that if you use Mike Zimmer to prop up Kevin O'Connell, that you're kind of doing it wrong. Like, Mike Zimmer won a lot with this team. When you look up the all-time win percentages for coaches, Mike Zimmer is up there with some of the best coaches ever for his time in Minnesota. So I was here for every game that he coached from 2016 on, and I always thought that Zimmer was a very good NFL coach. It was time for a change. It was certainly time for a culture change, time for an update on a lot of the things that you're talking about, like game situations and so forth. But if we're going to look at last year and we're going to say that Mike Zimmer was to blame for Daniil Hunter being injured. It's weird. Daniil Hunter is back now and they're better at football, right? And, and and Everson Griffin, after the second half of the year, was not around the team. Zadarius Smith is. These are big differences, right, in the things that they have as far as playmakers. Adam Thielen got hurt down the stretch last year, and that really took away a big weapon for them on offense, that secondary weapon, and it, it hurt them in some key games where they didn't have Adam Thielen to go to They have a healthy group of weapons and have added someone in TJ Hawkinson who's, in my mind, a lot better than a Tyler Conklin. Christian Derrissaw is a superstar now. Last year, he was a young rookie that didn't have training camp. These things things matter. Like, the luck element matters. Uh, Mike Zimmer didn't make Greg Joseph miss a field goal. He didn't make Delvin Cook's fumble not be reviewed. Like, we need to make sure, and I've always felt it was important, when looking back and making comparisons that we hit on the right things. And that's what I'm saying to tie it back into my initial comment. Like that, that's what I do. That's what I do. I try to play referee. So for one summer, I was an umpire and there was a saying with the umpires that either that, that if both teams were not super happy with what you did um, and they both disagreed with you on some calls, but they, at the end of the day, you know, graded you. Okay that that's what you were looking for. Like neither team thought that you gave them all the calls and both teams had some beefs with a few calls. That's kind of what we do here on the show. So I'm trying to look at it like a referee would analyze everything that happens and say, okay, Justin Jefferson, that's unbelievable. Christian Derrissaw, Zadari Smith, but the right guard position, eh, you know, right? Like that's, that's what I do here. Uh, I think that's how I think of myself is the unbiased observer. And sometimes you aren't going to see things the same way as me. Or sometimes you're going to say, I don't think you're giving X amount of credit as much, or I think you should give Y more criticism. And that's why we do fans only is so we can talk about things like that. So as far as am I excited, I'm excited to do this job all the time. Uh, There's never been a moment doing Purple Insider where I wasn't excited to do the job. And where I wasn't excited to read your questions and answer them and analyze it. Eight and one has uh, been good for the way we talk about the team. 
as in the games matter, as opposed to we're discussing whether someone's going to get fired and then rehashing the past constantly. I didn't need to talk any more about the bad receiver trades that they made or something or Chris Herndon or whatever else like that stuff had sort of run its course. And so as we go forward, uh, it's exciting to have fresh information to process, to analyze and to discuss with you guys. That's how I look at it. But there's never a time where you're going to listen to the show and go, oh, everything you said is perfect and I love all of it. Or I don't think if you're still listening every day on your ride in, you're going to say, I hate everything you say (laughs) about the team. But it's balls and strikes for me. uh, And that's how I look at it. I can't ignore an expected win loss to say maybe there's some skepticism. But I can also say TJ Hawkinson changes the equation here that the way that certain players are buying in and galvanizing around Kirk Cousins, that matters here. And I don't know which way it's going to go for the rest of the season. They're always an injury or two away from not being uh, as good as they are now. And they've got a tougher schedule coming up and we'll know more as the season goes along. But it's always a matter of just trying to use all the information we have to project what's going to happen That's why asking if it's sustainable, I mean, that's the question of football. Is it sustainable? Can they keep doing it? Are they going to go deep in the playoffs? That's the question every team asks all the time, and I feel like it's the most fascinating and interesting for me. So, you know, yeah, it's not, it's, I'm not going to put on, you know, horns and blow a galahorn or something, but um, I'm always going to give you the truth about what I think. And, and if you don't, agree then we have this whole podcast to give feedback and to talk about certain issues and everything else and I think my point uh, on Zimmer was just that you know if they had made the playoffs last year if Cooper Rush hadn't done what he did if the end of the and those are two games it's just random at the end where the ball bounces off Bashad Breland or Cam Dantzler forgets how deep the end zone is like those sorts of things Um, If they make the playoffs last year, Zimmer very likely keeps his job. And then this year, if they had made similar moves when you were all talking about how it was a Spielman offseason, that it might have gone differently this year for Zimmer. And I wondered about where we would be and how we would be talking about uh, the Mike Zimmer era if he had had that win loss or that that one score game luck swing back the other way. And I think that the record in one score games overall shows you that it usually evens out over a long period of time that doesn't mean they'll stop winning close games this year though because there is something about this group where they have playmakers who make big plays at the biggest times which i was saying earlier with andrew kramer like it there there is something to a team having those types of guys so hopefully that kind of clarifies it for you um but that's yeah that's the way that's the way i view it i mean i think that the discussions we're going to have as we go down the stretch here the storylines the lead up to the playoffs, all those things is going to be really, really gripping. And that's what I'm excited for more than anything. So uh, another great set of questions, guys. And I'm trying, as always, I tell you, I'm trying to get through them. Purpleinsider.com, at Matthew Collar on Twitter, doing the best to get through all of your questions. And uh, feel free to keep sending them. And uh, we will talk to you all again soon.